we've made it to the fourth episode of the Gospel Wall podcast. We're already well into season two. That's right. I missed last week in talking about our newest member. That's right. We want to welcome not just a guest, but a new host, Pastor Joe. Thank you. So today we thought we would cover the question, so what? Uh, I know that's a very broad uh, question, but it's the idea of what difference does the gospel practically make in our daily life, in our daily routines, in uh, in our parenting, in our marriage, and at work, uh, in relationships with friends. Basically, how do you take that which we've been discussing uh, from a theological perspective and actually apply it into the life of the believer without it being legalistic and having this sense that there's this uh, one way or there's a particular roadmap that you have to follow, but rather, how do you rightly, Lord willing, I don't, hopefully we'll cover this well, but how do you rightly apply the gospel? Joe, what, what's the answer to that question? The answer? I can give you a answer. <laughs> what, what, what about what? No, we, I want the answer. <laughs> uh, well, I can give you a answer. Okay. What um, is a answer? An answer. An answer. Yes, an answer. <laughs> well, one answer is if I think of my own life, and sure, I'm. If you are not familiar, I'm an empty nester, but. Formerly as a parent with kids in the house, my, at least on paper, one primary desire for my kids was that they would know Jesus. And it's easy to think that the talking, teaching opportunities behind closed doors, those conflicts where you really sort of duke it out, those are the ones that define whether you contribute in a positive way to the um, leading them to the cross. But I think actually the so what is if I'm not living it out and in the little conversations that I have with them and the little things that I do that seemingly go unnoticed, they add up. And I think they can undermine or formidably support the bigger moments that God provides for me to lead them to Christ. So just in a parenting sense, because I'm still in the thick of it, Mm -hmm. um, I think what allows me today to, sorry to give such a long answer, but what allows me today to even speak into the lives of my post-high school children Mm -hmm. is that those little moments that the Lord has been gracious to allow me to say, okay, these are important, not so what, that has paved an opportunity for me to continue to speak the gospel into their lives. Mm. What do you think? I was uh, actually having a conversation with a parent yesterday, and they were discussing this topic, not just about parenting, actually more was about marriage. And, you know, I think um, when I talk with people, usually they're sharing their struggles. Here's where we're at. Here's how I have failed. And 
I actually think that's some of the best ways that we try to live out the gospel is it's usually not by our strength, but when things go wrong, our weaknesses, our failures. If we sort of take, Fuji, your uh, quick summary, those two words to describe the gospel, and obviously there's a, we can have a million words to describe it, but we have two words, death and resurrection, or three. And there is always a dying in a sense, because of sin. But in Christ, there is always a a resurrection. And the fact of the matter is, is that I think our kids, um, and this is particularly in parenting, but I would say in any area, marriage, work, life, is that when we are willing to acknowledge that we have failed, that we are a sinner, um, and when people around us see grace when they see oh i have failed would you be willing to forgive me Uh, please forgive me for hurting you for being angry it to me the uh the thing that sticks out is for a kid for example when their parent genuinely asks for forgiveness and is willing to even recognize that they fail sometimes and and a child sees that i think that's a beautiful picture of the gospel, which is so counterintuitive to pride and boasting. Mm. Our, our instinct is to think, oh no, as the authoritative parent, I should always be super strong, never admit my, my failures, and therefore what they see from me is not ever weakness, but only strength, holiness, and I'm using my air quotes, and that, that that's what it means to be a Christian, is to be always holy never failing. And when that happens, we definitely don't see Christ. Amen. I think in our discussion with, in our small group, I think Josh brought this up as well as I'm going to take something that uh, one of the other guys said is that, well, the impression that I'm getting through gospel well, I'm paraphrasing him, is that 100% of the work of making me like Christ is God's. It's not my effort. It's not my work. So that's that. And then Josh says something like, yeah, every day I experience where I fail and where I fall short of God's glory, God's holiness, and I need Jesus. I said, yeah, right there. I think when I say when I need Jesus, that's all God, God's doing, God's righteousness imputed to me. Uh, God's holiness entering into my life, God adopting me, God treating me as a child, even though I don't feel like it. All those ways of experiencing grace and experiencing union with Christ that, okay, I'm going to confess my sins to my child, if that's an example, and I'm going to confess it to God. Because of that, I'm going to try to obey. And then rinse and repeat, right? It happens again, right? And so Josh is like, yeah, this this back and forth yes. that happens. Yeah. What do you think? The reason why we have a hard time applying the gospel is we think that as we're growing and maturing that we don't actually sin anymore. I mean, not that we don't sin anymore, but we become more perfected. Because we become more perfected that we actually sin less and therefore we don't have to ever ask for forgiveness or uh, Jack Miller talks about it in Sonship the idea of lifestyle repentance and 
the gospel's application so much is about going back to that cross. The cross diagram is a really great picture of that. It's we're just regularly seeing Jesus either the cross is so significant or it's not significant enough. And because we sort of ebb and flow, we forget the gospel. Um, we we forget what Christ has done. We forget that our righteousness is not our own. We've been bought with a price. We forget that we need it. We totally do. And because we forget it, then we then assume righteousness, our own righteousness. And so then we don't actually apologize quickly to our wife, to my wife. Let's say I got into a conflict with her and you know, my, in that moment, I just want to apply my own personal righteousness. I know I'm right. There's no way that I'm wrong. I know hundred percent she's wrong. And that, that pride keeps me from seeing the cross because surely even if I am a little bit right before the Lord, I mean, how much more he is perfectly righteous and I'm so utterly sinful that it should give me a picture of grace for the person, even if there is a quote rightness, but that inability to see the cross makes me proud, keeps me stubborn, doesn't allow me to reconcile because I feel like, well, I, I'm not the one at fault. You got to do it first. And that then becomes this, to use Fuji, your phrase, rinse and repeat cycle of sin, you know, and hardness. Yeah, I think that hardness over time, be mm-hmm. it repeated once or twice, right? That hardness of heart, you don't want to admit it. I think it, it could end up as hypocrisy. Yeah. You know, you, you, you preached on that. Yeah. Uh, arrogance, hypocrisy, and that takes a hold. You're hypocritical before God, self-righteousness, mm-hmm. right? And you're hypocritical before your children, mm-hmm. the people you love, which is just mm-hmm. a demonstration that, well, you're not living according to the gospel mm-hmm. of grace. Mm-hmm. I think more than, you know, what we actually do, once we get used to, like, go a little beneath the actions that we have, the behaviors that we do to the heart level, that's when the gospel even applies more there. So what? How does this work? Mm-hmm. Well, when we recognize, here's the sin beneath the sin, you know, the motivations, right, mm-hmm. of why I am like this, my, why am I so self-righteous? A little bit below the action. And when you get there, I think, yeah, the gospel matters. That my identity is in Christ, not in my looking right. My identity is as a child of God and God, the Father loves me versus I need to be accepted by my children or something like that. I think we just need to go a little bit below the surface as quick as we can in the everyday. I agree. Well, you know, as you were talking, one thing that came to mind was where scripture tells us the heart is deceitful. So if I'm always thinking, I'm fine, I don't need this stuff, I'm good to go, and that's sort of an occupational hazard, right? When you're a pastor theologian, you've learned a little bit more than the average person in the pew then I don't need to continue to, or on a regular basis, apply this, wrestle with it, be introspective, meditative, whatever, to really see what lies in my heart. There's a lot of assumption. There's going to be a lot of deceit Mm -hmm. to think that I'm good to go. And again, for me, as I'm thinking, and as you guys are talking, I'm thinking, what is my witness? You know, am I just a talking head at home? Is that how I exercise biblical leadership? 
as the head of the household just by talking in these conflicts or talking at the dinner table and I'm the one regurgitating the sermon or am I really speaking even through my words or through my deeds? Uh, the little things, and those little things add up. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not just a Holy Spirit of the extraordinary, but of the ordinary. And I think sometimes we kind of want the Holy Spirit to bail us out. Uh, and that's the only gospel application when things get really rough or when things are really good. But if you think about most of the stuff and time that fills our lives with our wives, our spouses, our children, or even ourselves, it's the ordinary. You know, I was talking to someone relatively recently and they were sharing the story it's a very common story of where um, husband and wife they have kids and they just don't have conflict in front of their kids ever uh, they they very intentionally try to hide conflict from their children you know life goes on kids get older kids eventually go to college they leave the house and then you hear the story of the parents getting a divorce. And so imagine if you're now a, an adult college-aged son or daughter and you hear from your mom and dad that they're getting a divorce and you've never seen them have a conflict ever. You just get shocked. Not only shocked, but your understanding of what marriage is, what sin is, what uh, grace is. It's just it's very difficult to comprehend. I almost feel as though that pattern is in so much of the way that we think what a Christian is like. The Christian should not have conflict, should not be angry. You know, we have a lot of should nots. Clearly, we should not. The problem is we do. There is a Savior. He did die on a cross for the things we do. Uh, he knew we were going to do those things. He didn't. He was not surprised that uh, there's not a single sin that we commit that he goes, I had no idea you would be like that. You know what I mean? It's it's completely, he understands, he knows, he died for it. And I do think that so much, whether it's in ministry, I've experienced this in ministry, where early on the idea was to be a pastor meant to be holier than everyone else. And holier meant to look holy, to read the Bible more, to pray more, to... You don't sin, you sin less. You're trying to be a good model. And again, I'm, I don't want to say that there's no place for outward holiness, but the problem is when the, that outward holiness is not supported by an inward transformation of one who's gone from death to life. And so when that happens, we project this persona or vibe. And, uh, you know, and by doing so, it's surprising and so therefore then when the church does fall apart and splits when the pastor does fall when the parents do get a divorce suddenly it's oh i guess this jesus really isn't legitimate this gospel isn't real and what we fail to see is that it's not the gospel or christ who has fallen and it's it's our actual misrepresentation of the gospel it's this understanding that the gospel means power and strength by our own merit power and strength not the power of christ to transform our lives and that i feel like this is something that as we live day to day it's not going to be how good were you today it's going to be have you turned to christ today 
Right, because of sin, because of failure, because of personal weakness. And the fruit of that, though, is love, kindness, compassion, mercy, grace. It's actually, the, the fruit actually does flow, but it's a fruit of the inward work that the Holy Spirit is doing through the finished work of Christ. Mm. Right. Repentance, faith in Jesus, union with Christ. Produces fruit. And that's, so when people see a Christ-centered, gospel-transformed believer, and they see them compassionate or kind or loving or merciful, uh, what they're seeing is actually a, a broken spirit and a contrite heart that the Lord will not despise, right? So, but we fixate on, oh, you must be reading the Bible more. You know, you must be <laughs> doing, yeah, doing something to create that within you. And we're like, no, it's actually the work of the Spirit to transform us to see the depth of our sin, the holiness of God, the necessity of the cross, the power of the resurrection. And then you're just so thankful to the Lord that you can't help but just want to exhibit these characteristics. It just flows out of you. What do you think? Amen. <laughs> That's gospel well. Right? That's <laughs> yeah. what we're trying to build in, right? Yeah. Like this is, we don't want to be stuck in, oh, here's all the religious things that I'm going to do. As though that that's what's going to make us look acceptable before God and before people know. Mm-hmm. It's, we're going to sin. We see our sin. We see our sin a little bit deeper, mm-hmm. deeper. And then we repent of that. And we can repent because... God's grace in Jesus is so much greater. Mm-hmm. Run to him, deeper trust in him, which is how you get union with Christ, Christ working in us, Holy Spirit taking who Christ is, working it into mm-hmm. us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Mm-hmm. And that's what comes out. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those is not from because I simply read the Bible and bam. Mm-hmm. No, it's repentance, mm-hmm. faith in Jesus. Yeah. God loves me. Amen. <laughs> Well, you know, as you have been, uh, like you said, you're in this empty nester stage and I'm sure you've had some time to reflect a little bit about, okay, here's where life was before, which I think for many of the people who perhaps are listening to this, that's where they're at is, you know, their kids are, you know, toddlers, they're throwing a tantrum, parents are tired, or maybe you're, they're, um, middle schoolers, high schoolers, where you're driving your kids all over the place, this sport, this activity, oh, and um, there's pressures of feeling as though you want to be a good mom and dad by supporting them. How do you feel as though in where you've lived that life and now you're in this next stage, what would you say to those people and how to apply the gospel as the mom is driving the kids to soccer practice or the the parents are, they have, a, you know, an infant and a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and it's just exhausting. They're hearing about the gospel and saying, okay, so I, I'm really frustrated. What do I do? It's not going to be your typical answer, uh, the one that comes to mind as you ask that question. You know, if you're not prepared for that moment, you're going to fail in that moment. And so all the more, I think the so what has to be, no, it. I need this on a regular basis. Not to say you're ever going to do it perfectly. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can just whip out from the from your back pocket. Mm-hmm. I think all the more, and it it's not a magic bullet in the sense that okay, so read your Bible and and you know try to apply this day in day out. It still will be a struggle. 
It still will be stressful, taxing, challenging, all the above. Uh, and the devil's going to seek every opportunity to cause us to fail mm-hmm. and to have that negatively impact mm-hmm. those around us. Mm-hmm. But all the more, I think that situation, which everyone who is listening, even for me, just because my kids aren't at home, and although for this week, my wife isn't either, but, you know, I'm living with somebody. I can't just muster that up at the moment. It's it's more incumbent on me and imperative on me to be regular about soaking myself in the good news of Christ and regularly walking with him, not just in a in a, I'm just going to soak everything up, but, you know, wrestling with my sin, dealing with the deception of my heart, all that stuff. Um, so that when the temptations come, when the challenges arise, when, let's say, I don't know, my, my daughter, or my son brings someone home and says, I want to marry this person. And mommy says, yes, I say no. Or I say yes. And she says no. And how did, how are Sonny and I going to deal with that? Hopefully if my heart has not to say I'll make the right decision, but that we will have a conversation where we're not ready to split or we're not going to not speak to each other for a week over it, or we're going to be so disappointed and uh, angry at each other but that we would deal with it in a way that honors the Lord and is compassionate towards one another, merciful and and loving to each other. So I would say uh, all the more just recognizing the regularity and the inevitability of those challenging situations, I don't see how you're not led to be convinced that this is really important and it's not a so what. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That regularity is so much, I think, the... The working out of the gospel on that uh, daily, moment by moment basis, because it is regular. We we have a heart, we have people around us, and there are struggles. And so, realizing that is the realization of it, like you said, is such a significant part of the application of the gospel. Because once you realize it, then you say, "Okay, what must I do? How how should I respond?" and I feel like at that point, there's a crossroad. The one way is you respond with your willpower. And the willpower could be a religious willpower, or it could be, yeah, it could be sinful anger, control. control. The second is you're going to respond with appropriating the, the work of Christ and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not better. And he's in control, and uh, he's, he's given his life for me. I know I'm in his hands definitively and so even in that instance where let's say your daughter or son brings home someone who you completely disapprove of you think in fact you know even that they're going to be a real there's gonna be some real problems dealing with that that's a hard i mean that i I think i could uh rightly say that that is harder than dealing with a child throwing a tantrum in the middle of a supermarket, right? Oh, yeah, sure. I can imagine. I mean, wouldn't you say that some of the uh, challenges that you face with your kids, while it maybe it's not as emotion-driven as when they were really young, but the implications of those choices are significantly greater, much greater, in terms of how it impacts their life than, say, 
whether they, you know, make it to the basketball team in their freshman year. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is a really silly way to explain it, but, you know, people talk about the terrible twos. I mean, you just pop them in a car seat and drive off, and that's fine. You know, you exert your willpower over them. But once they get into the teens, you know, it's like spiritual psychological warfare. <laughs> and so it's harder at that point. And so just laying that ground, it's so much, um, it's, it's so important mm-hmm. and to be ready. I mean, if I try to remember those challenging times in the van where the kids are just going nuts and driving me crazy... All I'm thinking is, how do I shut these kids up and seize control of this matter so that we can proceed? That's really the the goals, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Those I'd be hard-pressed to find those as biblically, you know, <laughs> prescribed goals for me. If I reflect, what would I want a gospel response to be like is so that they see Christ's love in that particular situation. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I win out in the actual earthly outcome, mm-hmm. So, for example, if I think of, if we apply that former approach to Paul's life or Jesus' life, Jesus would never gotten to the cross. How do I get out of this? Mm-hmm. How do I overcome this stress? How do I get rid of this one out of 12? Okay, I thought he'd be okay, but he's really causing me some trouble. <laughs> Judas, you know, that's not the gospel yeah, but approach. what if you have more than one out of 12 causing you trouble? <laughs> what if you have like... 12 out of 12 causing you trouble. <laughs> that is true too. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So how am I at peace trusting the sovereign God and knowing that his love will still prevail and not only benefit the recipient, but coming from my own heart that I will walk away satisfied and without anxieties, but filled with gratitude, Philippians 4. You know, how is that going to happen? Again, a regular... Mm-hmm. Me being saturated in wrestling with, dealing with my sin, receiving immeasurable grace and mercy from him, being reminded that I'm not a stranger to the Lord. I am a child of God. And then again, going, sorry, going back to that former approach, if I'm just trying to seize this opportunity, I'm just a babysitter. Mm. I'm not a parent Mm -hmm. the way God has intended for me to be. He wants me to love them. Babysitter's like, how do I seize this control seize control so that I can get paid and get out of here? Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, for me, it was like, how do I get from point A to point B without these kids screaming and driving me nuts? That's not sonship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's completely different. Yeah. We barely scratched the surface, but I'm thankful for the insights actually, you know, prompted my own mind and heart to think about this because I'm, I'm far from being empty nester. So thankful that we're back together. Yes. Yes. Thankful for yes. Pastor Joe to be thankful. here. And thank you. We're in the middle of gospel. Well, intentional discipleship. How many weeks have we done? We just passed session five. Yes, so there's so five more to go. Yeah, we are in the middle. Please continue to pray for it. Uh, for those of you who are listening, but we hope that not only will you be helped, but that some of you consider participating in the future in mm-hmm. the spring. Mm-hmm. Thankful for you. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.